you need to invest in yourself first. Even though you might not have the money and you might not be making money investment into the deal, you need to invest into yourself. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast, where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of fluffy stuff. What's us today, Russell Westcott. How you doing, Russell? Hey, Joe. How's it going today, my friend? It's going well and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Russell. He's a full-time Canadian-based real estate investor. He's built his first million-dollar real estate portfolio within the first year of taking the leap into real estate investing. So built a million-dollar real estate portfolio within the first year. We will talk about that. He's based in British Columbia. And his website, Russell Westcott, is where you can go and check him out. So russellwestcott.com. So with that being said, Russell, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus. Well, thank you, Joe. I'm honored to be on your podcast and share today. And before we get into it, I just want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge you with the service that you're providing for real estate investors. And congratulations, the world's longest running daily real estate show. And I understand your event that's upcoming is getting pretty close to being sold out. So congratulations to you for providing an amazing service out there. I appreciate it. Well, it's interesting Maybe it's just the Canadian enemy and deflecting. And that, that I often find that's the hardest question to answer is talk about yourself for a little bit, Russ. Well, my journey is maybe a little bit longer than most people's, maybe because I'm just a slow learner and I just take the long route a little bit. But I joke that my journey started around the turn of the century, right around year 2000. And at that time, I had a self-inflicted Peter Pan syndrome where I was afraid to grow up. And it was a milestone birthday that hit that year in 2000. I was turning 30 and I need to grow up. I need to take financial control of my future. I, I was renting a basement suite, had never bought a property before in my life, had no idea where I was going to go for advice or where to go to take my business and take things to the next level. And lo and behold, the answer to me came from watching Oprah. And on Oprah, around that time, I saw Robert Kiyosaki when he talked about Rich Dad, Poor Dad and that little purple book changed the direction and changed the trajectory of my life. After reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it changed everything on a different path that I was going down. And that's almost coming on 20 years now. Got it. So what is your current focus now? My current focus right now is I've been doing it for 20 years. I've built a fairly sizable portfolio. I've transacted over 100 properties. 
I'm actually in the process right now of, uh, with myself and my business partner, we're building brand new construction rental properties. So I've had my lesson handed to me of buying old crappy. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anybody who's buying older, junkier, crappier properties is doing it wrong. Maybe my age and advanced years and what I've seen, I've had my lessons handed to me by buying old properties with deferred maintenance and you just get eaten alive when you buy a property and you hold it for 15 to 20 plus years, it's now another 20 years older, deferred maintenance starts catching up on you, and you just get your lunch handed to you with expenses and bills. And I'm now getting into actually building rental properties, like building houses with suites, building houses, garage suites, building duplexes, fourplexes, all the way up to eightplexes. And that's what I currently hold. So let's talk about that. But first, within your first year building your million dollar real estate portfolio that's in your bio, what does that consist of? Well, it consists mostly of townhomes. And you may call them a little bit different. You may call them like semis. Different people call them different names. Where I invest, I call them townhomes. I do too. Townhomes, I get you. Apartment style condos. Those were the typical ones. Condo fees just slowly started creeping up and just eating me alive. And you know what? When I first got started and I put it in my bio that I built a million dollar portfolio in my first year, I had about a million dollars in properties every year. And what I've done now is changed my focus a little bit. But there was a time when I first got started that I bought a property a month for five years on average. But I say that to not impress people. I say that to impress upon people that that actually was a big mistake, that I added way too many properties too fast didn't have the infrastructure built, didn't have maybe the business acumen, didn't have the support structure to do that. When you build a portfolio of 60 properties in under five years, you better have some really good support systems and people and teams surrounding you to be able to handle that because that's a very, very big business. Okay. So 60 properties in five years. How many of those 60 properties do you still have? Today, I have right around 30. I added another six last year and I'll probably add another six to 10 this year. What property have you made the most money on? The most money would be probably it's still to be determined. The new construction properies that I'm buying. To date, to to date. date. whatever deal's gone full cycle, what deal have you made the most money on? Well, most of the properties that I have sold, actually, I didn't make a lot of money off. Most of the properties that I did was because I called the herd when something's not right. You get rid of it, right? Okay. So the properties that I do have are ones that are performing well now. Okay. Okay. But I'm actually repositioning. I'm culling the herd, getting rid of old <laughs> properties, yep. and building brand new construction to hold for the next 15 to 20 years. Essentially, I'm repositioning my entire portfolio. So I've been doing it, not to say I'm starting over, but in essence, I'm almost starting over again with my portfolio is I built an entire portfolio. Quite a few of them did not turn out well. I was in a market that had two downturns in 10 years. And some of the properties I bought 12 years ago are worth less than they were today than when I bought them. So I'm just repositioning a lot of my portfolio now and building it all again from scratch. I get it. And I want to talk about the two downturns in 10 years and the causes of those based on your perspective. But just to complete the circle of the question, so you have sold about 30 properties. So of those 30, which one, if any, made you the most money? Well, interesting to note, most of the properties that made me money, I had to reinvest that back into the properties that lost money. (laughs) It's funny, it was probably about five years ago now, I had to sit down and I had to have a really tough conversation and a real tough look in the mirror. And I put together the good, the bad and the ugly plan. 
And what I had to do at that time is I had to sell some good properties to pay off the downright ugly ones. And some of the bad ones are starting to be flushed through now. And I'm left with a few left over and I'm building more. You know, I'm left when I say a few, I'm left with 30 places. Yeah, 30 is a lot. Yeah. Plus still adding more to the portfolio. So of the ones that made money, regardless of what you did with that money, I'm just wondering of the 30, which one made you the most money? And then we'll talk about the flip side. The mistake I made was I probably should have exited when I needed to at a peak of a market. So I had properties that I bought that skyrocketed up in value and then dropped down significantly. But I have had properties that have made hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't have the exact number. That's actually a very good question. I probably should go back and read About how much has the one that made you the most money, how much did that make you? I would say probably about $130,000. Okay, got it. So 130 k on the upswing and then some of them that you sold, as you said, you're calling the portfolio. Which one did you lose the most amount of money on? The one I lost the most amount of money on probably was on a flip that I had done. Mm-hmm. and had bought it. And I'm just trying to get the exact number. It was probably the flip. It was at about nine months and it lost about 60 grand. Okay. That's not that bad. If you were presented a similar opportunity now and you had to buy the property, yep. but you could change the terms or price within reason, what would you do differently to help mitigate that loss from taking place? The number one thing I would do is with the money partner I was working with, I would have clearly expressed to him that if this doesn't make money by the time we turn around and sell, we are going to then turn around and rent it. We got in with the money partner together. We got in, we were in total intention was to sell it at nine month mark. Yeah. And the nine month mark came and there was a loss in there. And I had to do what we agreed to, but I would have probably positioned it up front that we have to be prepared to hold it for more years to come if it is at a loss position. And how many years was that ago? That was fairly recent, actually, within the last two years. Okay. And let's assume that you had rented it out for the last two years. Where would you be at this point with it? It'd be getting closer. That was actually in a suburb of Vancouver, where I live, where we did that. And we had a very severe downturn in the last probably 18 months where the market just fell out, the bottom fell out. And is that the market where you said had two downturns in 10 years? That was the Alberta marketplace. Another market. Jeez, I'm staying away from where you invest. I make the joke quite often is, hey, I've invested in this marketplace. Everybody stop investing now. Go somewhere. (laughs) One of my early mentors, Ron the Grand, told me that sometimes we're put on this earth to be a warning to others. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's true for everyone. There's things that we can learn from everyone. That's for sure. With the markets, two downturns in 10 years for the, you said Alberta? Alberta yeah, market? It was okay. an oil-based economy. Oil-based. Okay. Yeah. So primary economic drivers were oil. So oil went down, therefore economy goes down. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit more involved in that, but that is the gist of it. The first downturn was the global economic crisis back in sure. 2008. Okay. Then the next one, there's a lot of policy things that have happened. There's been a lot of, not going to get political here, but there's been some governments that have not been favorable for the energy industry, things like that have just not been favorable to energy-based economies. But the good news now is the market has been down long enough that the green shoots are coming in and it's actually a fantastic time to get back in and buy at a very aggressive rate right now. 
All right, so now let's talk about what you're currently doing. And thank you for sharing your lessons that you've learned from what you've acquired so far. So now you said- Success is actually a poor teacher. So we learn more from our failures than we do from the success, really. So now clearly you're a personal development student. You follow Tony Robbins and others, yes? Absolutely. Yep. I, I did a firework back in 1992. When you mentioned the phrase impress and impress upon, and I was like, Tony Robbins, there yep. he is. Yep. I know that. <laughs> All right. So you said, forget that other stuff. I'm doing new development. I'm going to be building my rental properties because the maintenance expenses over the next 15 years will be minimal. And I'm going to hold these puppies. First off, is that an accurate assessment of where you're at now? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to play devil's advocate and just mention, I want to hear your thoughts that, okay, new development, totally agree that maintenance is low and you've got a brand new property and it's a shiny thing for residents to flock to. On the flip side, should a downturn happen, like what happened twice in Alberta and like what happened in Vancouver that you mentioned, then having dirt that you've purchased that's not generating income prior to you stabilizing it puts you in a precarious position. So what are your thoughts on mitigating that risk? So here's how I mitigate the risk. I actually only buy the finished product. I do not own the dirt. A business partner and I will go out, identify land positions, and then we have a group of builders that'll actually go out and build it for us. And we do not buy and spec. We actually only buy based upon properties we have. And when I close on it, there's actually a house on it. When I own it, there's actually a tenant in place on the property, fully done, purpose-built rental property. Wow. Okay. Just so I'm understanding it correctly, you identify the land positions, meaning you go and you say, I'd like a house here, please. And then you speak to your builder and he or she goes and builds it, they put up all of their own money, they put all of their resources in it, you have no money, nothing tying you to purchasing that, and then once it's built, then the builder comes to you and says, okay, you said you wanted that, so now you may buy it for me at X price, and then you buy it. No, very close. So There has to be a catch. I knew there was a catch, because I knew it didn't quite work that way. That's why I wanted to summarize it. Very close. So my business partner and I, he will go out, he lives in the area, I live in Vancouver, my job is to get on stages and talk and bring people and excite people and bring investors to the opportunity. I will go find an investor that might want to buy a property through me or just go buy it on their own. Then my business partner goes out, finds a good subdivision, finds the right spot with the good parking, everything. They have the right floor plan for tenants. Then the investor who's buying it, whether it's myself or the person that I bring to it, will write an offer. And they'll put down a deposit anywhere between 5 and 10% deposit. Mm -hmm. They'll also qualify for a mortgage. Then when they have a purchase contract, the builder then has the confidence and they'll go build the property then. Uh -huh. And then the investor will then close on it, say, six to nine months later. Got it. Okay. So the investor and builder are the ones who have the risk in that the investor has 5 to 10% deposit and the builder has their time and perhaps supplies. But with the investor, the risk is mitigated because the money is, sits in a realtor's trust account. And if the builder does not build it or does not fulfill upon it, the investor can get their money back because it's sitting with a realtor. There's laws governing deposits sure. sitting with okay. a realtor. Cool. So assuming that there's not a major 
market crash, then it's a lot of the risk is mitigated in yep. that scenario. Okay. The builders don't want to bite off more than they can chew too, right? Mm -hmm. And most of the builders are actually just using land positions they already have put deposits on. Sure. Right. Of course. Yeah, right they would now, in the market I'm buying in, to buy a brand new construction property is not much more money than actually buying a house off the MLS. Usually people say, well, new properties are paying a premium. In the market I'm in, new construction properties cash flow and they're not that much of a premium. And that's why I'm doing this. What market are you in? It's in a northern city of Alberta. Edmonton Oilers. You betcha. So you've been all over Canada. <laughs> You're all over. I, it's like pick your Canadian reference point in this conversation. It's like I got to look at a map afterwards to see your travels of real estate ventures. Well, I actually grew up in Saskatchewan, so think just okay. A there we go. <laughs> I want you to mention as many Canadian places as possible during this thirty-minute conversation. Yes, and I may drop a couple A's, and I might apologize a couple times too. Yeah. And I should have my Tim Hortons coffee with me here too. So. <laughs> So Edmonton is where you're buying and what's the purchase price on average of new construction? Well, depending on the model and finishing and stuff, anywhere between 400 to five and a quarter for a suited house model, mm -hmm. all the way up to say 1.6 million for an eight plex. An eight plex. Okay. Let's, for easy math, we'll start with the $525,000 property. What's that renting for? I'll give you my last two suited houses I bought were in essence, it was 920 essentially for a fourplex and that's rented for 75 grand a year. Okay. 75,000 a year divided by 12 is 6,250. And then what'd you say the purchase price was? 900? All in, that includes all, all in. taxes, that includes all landscaping. That's a completed turnkey yeah. property. Okay. So people talk about the 1% or 2% rule. This is 0.67 of a percent, but it's new construction. Have you heard of the 1% rule? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So it's under, but your take on it, which is very logical is that, well, it's new construction. So you have less maintenance headaches. Well, let's put it this way. I have not had a phone call for these properties yet. As a matter of fact, they're under warranty for the next mm -hmm. two, five, 10. There's a warranty mm -hmm. on it. And the maintenance hassles are a lot less. The difference in tenant profile is completely different too. Like getting people that are making $100,000 a year incomes. And one of the other units is there's a, um, a police officer, an RCMP officer and his family. It's a completely different tenant profile that you're getting. It removes a lot of the maintenance and, and a lot of the management hassle as well. And then when you scale up in units for the eight plex. Is that a similar ratio? It's a little bit better. A little uh, bit better. Okay. That, that makes sense. Yeah. On an eight plex, I don't have my numbers in front of me, but it's significantly better on an eight plex where you potentially you're getting, depending on the mix, you're getting 1800 per unit on the up. You're getting almost 12.5. Okay. So you did the annual amount? Yeah. No, that's okay. 12.5, 1250 yeah. dollars. A month no, 12, per, per unit? No, total all eight, 12500 Okay, because it's about 1800 a unit? They come in stacks. There's an up and a down. So it's 16 up, nine down. Okay, so how much per unit on average, a rent per month for an eight unit? 2500 per stack of four, 2500 times four. And then there's utilities on top of that. So the way it's built is essentially it's a stacked townhome and there's four of them put together. Okay. So there's an eight plex, right? So there's eight different families. There could be eight different families living there. Is that accurate or not? That's correct. It'd be six. Okay. So 
16 up, 9 down. 16 up, 9 down for an 8-plex? No, there's 4. There's a stack of 4, right? So think 4 townhomes all stuck together. Okay, got it. So 8 total? Eight have to- eights in them. Okay, so eight total dwellings if it's an eightplex, right? So I guess this would be the best way. Four of them at 1,600 and four of them at 900. Got it. Okay, so four at 1,600 rent a month and then four of them at 900. Correct. And then there's utilities, there's parking, there's things on top of that as well. Fair enough. Okay, I understand. I apologize for being dense on that, but I understand now. So let's just go with the best case scenario. If it's 1,600... And I'm paying about 200000 for it. It is, instead of 0.67, it's 0. 0.8. Yep. So it's, it's inching up closer to the 1% in the 1600 case. And the other one would be obviously lower than that. And then where we're doing these and building these, it might be different across jurisdictions. But some of the investors that are getting in with residential financing on these, instead of going the commercial route, mm. they're able to get actually a residential mortgage with full discount, CMA, you know, those kind of things as well, as opposed okay. to like commercial route. Of a- okay. Yeah. I imagine it's going to be lower down payment and lower interest rate and longer amortization, right? And no fees, no fees as well. Oh, beautiful. Okay. And if they buy the whole eight plex, they can get that type of loan? On one title. If you buy one title, you can get one mortgage. Wonderful. For the whole eight plex. Correct. And really cool exit strategies, you now have the ability to potentially subdivide it into four separate titles. There you go. And then you can sell them off piece by piece. Yes. Buy by the yard, sell by the foot. Okay. That's not the first time you've said that. (laughs) Kidding with you. Cool. Well, when you take a look at your experience as a real estate investor, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? The best advice was somebody who gave it to me very early. And the best advice was... Money is required to buy real estate, but it doesn't have to be your money. And that came to me very early. And thank goodness it came to me very early because I had no money to buy real estate. And I had to learn the process of how to raise capital from other people in order to move forward and keep building this portfolio. So I built my entire portfolio raising capital from other people. I've wrote books on it. I've taught people. I've trained. I've done majority of my real estate investing on other people's capital and helping other people. You've just come across a 20-year-old and she asks you how she can get started in real estate. In particular, she wants to learn how to partner up with people and use their money, not hers, because she doesn't have money what is your advice to her? The best advice I would give would be, you need to invest in yourself first. Even though you might not have the money and you might not be making money investment into the deal, you need to invest into yourself. I was in the exact same boat and then I would just share my story. Is truly when I got in, I had no money. I could qualify for a mortgage, but I had no down payment. So what I did was I got involved with a network. I networked, I trained, I got a coach, I got mentored, and I kept sharing with everybody that I talked to what I was doing and the action I was taking and properties I was dealing with and things that I was learning. And all these people that had the capital saw that I was willing to invest in myself and that I was willing to do the work. And then eventually I was getting my hands dirty. Eventually they trusted me to do the work for them and they were putting up their money into the deal after that. What program did you go with to find a coach? Through a company up in Canada called the Real Estate Investment Network. And I actually ended up being their vice president for a better part of 13 years as well. 
So I was going to ask, would you recommend, but you're a fan. So yes, <laughs> you recommend. Yeah, cool. yes, 100%. But here's the thing. Things have changed so much. And you would know this too, Joe. Things have changed yeah. so much. Meetups, there are so many amazing meetups in the real estate space. Every local community and market almost has something. The main thing I would just say is just show up, get out there, start hanging out with those like-minded people, and you'll be amazed at what can happen. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? You betcha, brother. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. All right. What's the best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal. Interesting is probably, it was my first one. And I know sometimes people always say the first one, but the first one was the one that I got in the game. I will be honest and I did everything wrong. I made all the mistakes. I struggled along. Actually, the tenants in the basement suite passed away on the property and I sold it within probably a year of buying it. I did the entire cycle of buying and selling it within one year and I lost money on it. I lost about 500 bucks. And I sat there and I go, you know what? If I just do one thing better the next time, I think I can make this work. And I didn't quit. That was the main thing was it got me in the game. It started, even though I did a lot of things wrong, I didn't quit. And that was probably the best deal I ever did. What's the best ever way you like to give back? The best way I like to give back is actually just teaching and sharing and coaching and consulting. I jump onto podcasts all the time. I do Facebook lives all the time. I host multiple Facebook groups. I write books. I teach. I share. I'm a firm believer in the quote by, and I'm probably going to mess up the quote a little bit, but it's a John F. Kennedy quote, and to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm -hmm. And I've been so blessed over the years. And in order to be a blessing to others, I need to share everything that I've learned. I've had so many amazing mentors in my life. And I'm actually in a point that I'm giving back to the real estate investor community of mistakes I've made. You know, some people will not talk about their mistakes, that it's only just unicorns and butterflies and sunshine and roses and everything's wonderful. Not everybody will actually share the struggle and share the downturn and share the mistakes that you made. I actually, am, I celebrate them. And I actually am sharing all these lessons I've learned through almost 20 years. I share this with the real estate investing community to encourage them and inspire them to keep moving forward. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? My website is the hub of all things. And that's just russellwestcott.com. How'd you come up with that website name? I think my mom did. (laughs) (laughs) Russell, I really enjoyed our conversation. And as you said, celebrating mistakes and talking about that, but then also talking about your success and your focus now and why you're focusing on it with new development and the structure that you have with the individuals or the parties involved. 
Really enjoyed our conversation. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. Right on. Thanks, Joe. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, go to bec20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference bec20.com.